Good morning, church. Man, it's good to see you this morning. I missed you last week. I took my passport and went up north of the Red River, and uh, I told some people earlier I didn't wound too many while I was up there, and uh, glad to be back in the home state. Glad you're here this morning, especially our guests. We're delighted that you're with us. I'd like to invite everybody to open your Bibles, please, to Luke 19. Your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 19. We're going to start reading at verse 1, Luke 19. Everybody's got it? Say, got it? Ah, come on. Everybody's got it? Say, got it? All right. Still Still looking? Wait. Okay. Everybody's there. Live... Life on purpose. Live life on purpose. In fact, repeat after me. I will live my life on purpose. You do so much better than that early service. You just do so much better. I know they're asleep, but here we go. One more time. I will live my life on purpose. One of the things you notice as you read through the gospel record is that Jesus was one who always lived his life on purpose. Every moment of every day, he lived in accordance with the purpose of why he came. And you can read story after story, and you keep looking back at the reason why he came. And he's always living on purpose. This morning, we're going to look at one of those stories. Yeah, it's the story we used to teach our little children, and you still teach them. You you got the song, and you got all the movement that goes with it. You remember Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Remember? Climbed up in a sycamore tree, his Savior for to see. We used to teach our kids. When we got to that one part, the Savior comes on the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down from there before you fall out and break your arm. And the kids would just cackle. They'd say, Daddy, it doesn't go that way. Zacchaeus. Another place, another example, another testimony to a Savior who lived his life on purpose. Let's read together. Luke 19, 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jericho. Jericho was and is a beautiful city. It's on the Jordan Plain. It is lush with grass and vegetation. It stands out in stark contrast to the wilderness around it. It's got these white buildings that stand out against the greenery of the background. It is a beautiful city. It was a city that at one time was given by Mark Antony to Cleopatra as a gift. It was a city that was not only beautiful, but it was important to Rome because of a trade route that went through there and because of the tax revenue that that wealthy city generated for Rome. Jesus is passing through Jericho. Now, if you look back into the Luke, Luke's gospel, it'll tell you in Luke 9, 51, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He is on his way to Jerusalem to die. This this is his last stop before Jerusalem. 
The Bible says a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. His name means pure. Pure. You think his mom and dad might have had some dreams and aspirations about what kind of man Zacchaeus would grow up to be when they named him pure? You think that maybe there was a little bit of disappointment in them now when they were asked, what does your son do for a living? Well, uh, er, uh, er, uh, he's a tax collector. The Bible says he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He was rich. To become a tax collector in this system meant you declared yourself a traitor to your nation. For a Jew to become a tax collector and collect taxes for Rome meant you went in collusion with the very ones who were oppressing the Jews. In their minds, about the worst thing you could become would be a tax collector. And about the second worst thing you could become would be somebody who hangs out with a tax collector. Listen, nobody hung out with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't get wedding invitations. He didn't get invitations to parties. Uh, When he'd walk down the street, people would murmur and whisper about him that he is a sinner. But you know what? Zacchaeus didn't care. He laughed all the way to the bank. He didn't care what people thought about him. He loved money, and he had a bunch of it. He loved money more than he loved his nation. He loved money more than he loved his reputation. He loved money more than he loved his own family. Maybe he loved money even more than life. And he laughed all the way to the bank at all the people who murmured about him as he went down the street. I mean, after all, he had the big house on the hill. He had the beautiful gardens and the servants. He had the Cadillac chariot sitting in the garage. Zacchaeus didn't care. He was rich. The Bible says he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Listen, if he had been well-reputed in his village of Jericho, people would have parted and said, Here, Zacchaeus, you stand in front of me. I can see over you. But because of the profession he had chosen, tax collector, because he'd gotten rich off of his own neighbors, Zacchaeus got no cooperation out of the crowd. And the Bible says he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. I've just got this terrible habit that when I read something like that, I start asking questions like, what prompted this wealthy, rich uh, tax collector to want to get a glimpse of a carpenter from Nazareth? I mean, to go and climb a tree was to invite even further ridicule to himself. What would prompt this man to run and and climb a tree just so he could get a glimpse of this carpenter from Nazareth walking down the road? I don't know. Maybe it was curiosity. He'd obviously heard about him, wanted to see him. I don't know, maybe 
maybe someone had told him that one of Jesus' followers had come out of his own profession, that he had a former tax collector named Matthew in his band. Or just maybe he had discovered what a lot of us discover in our lives at some point, that all the wealth he had and all the stuff he had didn't touch that part down deep inside that he felt so empty. Late at night in in his beautiful house as he laid his head down on his, his satin or silk pillows and all the candles were blown out and it was dark. Zacchaeus knew there was something missing in his life, a hole in his life you could drive a Mack truck through. Something in him wanted to see if this carpenter from Nazareth had something to offer him that was different than what he'd experienced. The Bible says when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, pure, come down immediately for I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Really important point here you need to get. Out of all the hundreds of people that lined the streets that day to get a glimpse of him, why does he give his attention to Zacchaeus? Of all of the people who were, who were lining the roads and just wanting to see, of all the needs represented in the city of Jericho, why did he choose Zacchaeus to hang out with that day over everyone else? I'll tell you why. I think, I think it's because in the midst of the crowd, he saw the neediest man among them, and it was Zacchaeus. You know what? You might can get lost in the crowd of this world, but you're not lost. You're not a face in the crowd to God. God sees you. God, as we sang just a few minutes ago, God knows your name. He knows everything about you, everything. And He loves you with all of His heart doesn't matter what you are, where you've been, or what you've done. There is nothing, as one author writes, nothing you can do to make God love you less. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. He sees you in the crowd this morning. And when you might be hiding like Zacchaeus was behind the beautiful house and the Cadillac chariot and he had all the wealth and all the money he could spend, there was still something terribly missing in his life. Though he was hiding behind all that stuff, Jesus saw him and he said, listen, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come hang out with you today. He sees you and he loves you. The Bible says, verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. (laughs) You almost hear the hiss of the serpent, sinner. You know what it sounds like when people murmur? Just right now, just murmur out loud, just mutter to yourselves, mutter out loud. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is hearing. 
When he says to Zacchaeus, you come down, I'm going to come hang out with you today, Zacchaeus. All of a sudden, this, this noise starts around the crowd. I mean, no self-respecting rabbi would go hang out with a sinner like this. Are you kidding me? I don't know how much time passes between verse 7 and verse 8, but some time passed. I don't know what all Jesus said to Zacchaeus. Maybe he said to Zacchaeus something like, well, Zacchaeus, how's your prayer life? Zacchaeus, how did you get so rich? Zacchaeus, how do you feel about the way your neighbors feel about you? Zacchaeus, what are you really running from? Zacchaeus, what do you really want in life, really? I don't know what all Jesus talked to Zacchaeus about, but my guess is when you're in the presence of ultimate love, you are the topic of conversation. And my guess is Jesus talked to Zacchaeus about Zacchaeus. And at some point in the conversation, something transforming happens. And I don't know if it took an hour Two hours, four hours, I have no idea how much time passed between verse 7 and verse 8. But at verse 8 it says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. What? He's one of the richest men in Jericho, if not the richest. And the first declaration he says is, I'm giving half of everything I have, and I'm going to liquidate and give it to the poor. Cadillac chariot in the garage. His wife had one. One of them went. I read an article recently about some of the most wealthy Americans that we have in this country. One of them is Warren Buffett. I'm sure you've heard that name. The other is Bill Gates. I'm pretty sure you've heard that name. These guys are multi-billionaires. And they, along with their families, have agreed that they're going to give away their wealth. I'm not talking about somebody like me that's not worth much. I'm talking about somebody who's got billions. And they have entered into an agreement that when they die, they're not passing on their billions to their family. They're passing it on to charities and to charitable works to benefit someone else. I don't know about you. I think that's pretty cool. For Zacchaeus, it was a testimony of the change of his heart. This one who'd been so greedy and who'd gotten filthy rich off of his neighbors stands up and says, Lord, half of what I've got, I'm giving away. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, there is in the Greek language something called a first-class conditional sentence. And it should be rendered in English, since I have. And what he's saying is, since I've cheated people out of stuff, he says, I will pay back four times the amount. You know, the thought of this wee little man going up to the door and knocking on the door 
and standing there with a sack of money. And when they opened the door, him saying, I have defrauded you out of too much tax money and I want to repay you four times the amount I defrauded you. The thought of that is just amazing. It is so moving that Jesus is moved deeply. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today, here, now, this spot, your house, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now listen to this next statement. Because he lived every moment of every day on purpose. Listen to what he said. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is why I came. I came for the lost. I came for the up and in, and I came for the down and out. I came for the, for the, for the, the sinners and the pimps and the prostitutes and the perverts, and I came for the, for the professionals and the up and in and the respected, the people of ill repute, the people of good repute. I came for the lost. I came for all of them. Man, great story, preacher. Let's, yeah, thanks. Let's go eat. Amen, yeah. Not yet, okay. I, I don't have a lot of time, but let me, let me say, mate, there are dozens of applications come out of this story. I mean, I could preach half the day on this passage. I only preach another just a few minutes. I mean, just a few minutes. Let me make two really important points that come to me out of this passage. Here's the first. This is important. I hope you catch this one. You don't have to always be what you have been. Let me say again. You don't have to be what you've always been. And Zacchaeus is proof that you can change. Marcia and I are dog city. Our son and daughter-in-law and two grandsons are at Disney World this morning. Disney World. That's just not right. And we are keeping their dog. That dog is a smart dog. I mean, for dogs, he's smart. He's a little Boston Terrier. But let me tell you something about him and all dogs and all cats and all animals and everything in creation except you and me. He lives by instinct. He can't change There is nothing he can do to change the way he is because he's a dog. He lives according to instinct. But listen to me, brother, sister. Listen, we are human beings created in the image of God, and you don't always have to be what you've been. By the power of God and Jesus Christ in you, you can be different. I hate it when I hear somebody who's trying to excuse their deviant behavior by saying, well... That's just the way I am. Well, that may be the way you are, but that's not the way you have to be. That's not the way you have to be. Well, I'm I'm just hot-headed and I just lose my temper. That's that's just the way I am. Well, no, you don't have to be that way. I can prove it to you. You're in the middle of a heated argument with your mate. All right? That happens. And in the middle of this heated argument, and y'all are, you know, the volume has gone up. The phone rings, and it's your boss. 
Your boss never calls you at home. This must be important. And right in the middle of a heated argument, we're going, hello, hi. Now, what have you just done? You have just set aside your anger for a minute. You have said in this moment of time, I can control my anger. Listen, you don't have to be what you've always been. God can change you like God changed Zacchaeus. Second point, we're done. We're almost headed to lunch, all right? All right? Here's the second point. This story underlines for me, we need to remember what we're supposed to be about. I told the first service, I kind of hate to admit it this morning after the beating that the Baptist put on us last night, but I'm I'm a graduate of Texas Tech University. About midway through the second quarter, I became a Baylor fan. (laughs) Not really. When I was at Texas Tech, I went through the business school. I have a BBA in finance, and then I went on to graduate school in the MBA program. In both undergraduate and graduate degree, graduate school, there was textbooks that we studied in management, and they were written by a guy named Peter Drucker. You ever heard the name Peter Drucker? Peter Drucker is called the father of modern management theory. Peter Drucker spent his whole life trying to help corporations and businesses become more efficient in management. But he spent the last decade or so of his life trying to help churches. And he said, one of the things that every organization needs to do is ask themselves two questions. Number one, what's your business? He said, go back to the very beginning of your time together as an organization, as a group, and ask yourself the question, what is our business? What did we start out to do? What did we start out to accomplish? And then he starts using example after example of businesses, for example, that, that forgot what business they were in because they were so busy running their business. Candle makers in the United States. Candle makers almost went out of business when the light bulb generation came along because they forgot they were in the lighting business. They should have been the one developing the light bulb. The railroads, they had all the money, all the power, all the wherewithal to become mighty as car manufacturers and airplane manufacturers. But you see, they got busy running railroads and they forgot they were in the transportation business. Swiss watchmakers, they so love the tick-tock, tick-tock of the watch that whenever the quartz technology came along, they had first shot at it. But because they loved the tick-tock, tick-tock of the Swiss watchmaking, they declined to use quartz technology, so the Japanese started making watches with quartz technology. And guess what? They put all the Swiss watchmakers out of business because they forgot they were in the timekeeping business. And then he cites hundreds, thousands of churches 
across Europe and Asia and America who are, that are boarded up with plywood nailed over the windows and the doors locked and shut because people got so busy running churches they forgot what business we're in. Church, I'm here to remind you we're in the business of seeking and saving the lost. That's why we're here. The reason we weren't translated right out of the baptistry into heaven. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right into, I mean, the reason that doesn't happen is because God leaves us here for a reason. To testify to the loving grace of Jesus Christ. We're here for the lost. The up and the in, the down and the out, the people of ill repute, the people of no repute, the people like Chris described, who were who were antagonistic and 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 angry. Those people were after the lost, all of them. Because that's our business. Here's a second question he said. Ask this. After you define this is our business, ask this question. How's business? Listen, it's appropriate to ask the question in every congregation across this country. Has anybody been saved here lately? Because church, that's our business. We need to be reaching out and loving people to the cross of Jesus because that's living life on purpose. He lived life on purpose and he calls us to follow him. I don't know about you. I want to be a man who lives life on purpose. A purpose greater than my own personal agenda. A purpose that surpasses anything you can involve yourself in. It's the kingdom cause of Jesus Christ. What's our business? Seek and save the lost. How's business? It's fixing to get better. Amen? Let's pray together. God, our Father, would you forgive us for spending so much of our time in trivial pursuits and running business that we forget what we're supposed to be about? Would you remind us this morning that it's about seeking and saving the lost, the lost like Zacchaeus, the lost like Alex, Clint, the lost like some of our neighbors, some of our working colleagues, some of the friends that we recreate with, the lost. God, help us be bold in loving them to the cross, not preaching at them, but God, loving them and drawing them to Jesus. God, help us be one who sees our lives lived on purpose. And God, I pray you'll start with me. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.